Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. This episode of Reimagining Love is brought to you by Dame Products. Dame is a female-founded brand creating beautiful and groundbreaking products to enhance pleasure. It should come as no surprise to you that I love their mission of helping people feel comfortable in their sexuality, worthy of feeling good, and connected to their partners. Dame vibrators are specifically designed for people with vulvas. Dame also makes lube, massage oil, and arousal serums that are body safe and designed to be used with Dame's vibrators to heighten pleasure. Their products are designed with the community of Dame Labs and with the consultation of a clinical board of sexologists, OBGYNs, and physical therapists. I look forward to being a part of the Dear Dame series as a featured expert in spring 2022. You can use offer code LOVEPOD, L-O-V-E-P-O-D, to get 10% off your first order at Dame Products. So head to dameproducts.com and start shopping today. On today's episode, I am thrilled to be joined by Nedra Glover-Tawab. Nedra is a licensed therapist and sought-after relationship expert. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. And she went on to write a companion workbook. Nedra has practiced relationship therapy for 12 years and is the founder and owner of the group therapy practice, Kaleidoscope Counseling. Every day, Nedra helps people create healthy relationships by teaching them how to implement boundaries. Her philosophy is that a lack of boundaries and assertiveness underlie most relationship issues, and her gift is helping people create healthy relationships with themselves and others. In addition to her therapy work and writing, Nedra has a fantastic Instagram account that I know you're going to be eager to follow after hearing from her in this episode. When I think about what draws people to Nedra's work, there are two elements that stand out to me. First, she provides language, how to raise a concern, how to respond to someone's boundary violation, mantras that we can use to shift out of unhealthy patterns. Second, she holds this wonderful both and of being deeply compassionate while also inviting and frankly insisting that people take responsibility for themselves, their choices, and their relationships. I loved our conversation and I especially appreciated Nedra's response to a listener question about boundaries and how to love someone through a mental health challenge. Let's dive in. Hi, Nedra. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to chat. I know. I'm a huge fan of your work. I recommend your book all the time, but this is really our first conversation and I hope it's our first of many conversations. Where I like to start with my guest experts here on Reimagining Love is with the relational 
self-awareness question because it reminds us that we get to be whole as we are and forever works in progress. So are you ready for the relational self-awareness question? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So Nedra, what is a growing edge that you are working on in one of your important relationships and what has it been teaching you these days? I think that acceptance in many of my relationships is a continuous practice. And I have to remember that when people get on my nerves, that I still love them. There are many parts of one person, and this is just another part, and this is a piece of them that I can move through. I have to accept this as I accept them in the relationship. You know what? You are just setting up (laughs) the Instagram post that I want to talk to you about. That is the funniest thing. That really is. That is. Oh, wow. Because you have a ton of Instagram posts. And that is literally the one because it stood out to me so much. And I thought, okay, let's dig into that. But before we dig into the Instagram post, I think this one is so tricky, especially for those of us who do a lot of work around boundaries, right? I think this is where we get Mm -hmm. tripped up is like, If I have healthy boundaries, then what does it say that I'm accepting this quality about you or this behavior of yours, right? I think that we can get ourselves pretty confused and tripped up in that gray zone. Yeah, I find that many of the things that we're bothered by with people, we have been bothered from the beginning. And the more time we spend with them, the greater those frustrations increase. So if you were dating someone and they were late, sometimes it's like, oh, you know, they're just late. But once you're in a long-term relationship with that person, it's like, oh my gosh, they're always late. I hate this. Like it Mm -hmm. becomes this really big thing that was like this little bother. And what work do we need to do around, this is a great person. This is why I chose to be in a relationship with this person. Mm -hmm. Clearly, they have this tendency towards being late to things. How do I manage that? Perhaps it is on me to drive separately. Right. Perhaps it is on me to say, hey, I'm going to give you an earlier time because I know you're going to be late. Like, how do I manage my frustration around this thing that they present with that I'm I'm accustomed to, to some extent, that I need to learn to accept this instead of trying to change it? Because lots of these behaviors existed before we got into relationships with people. Some of it is just personality. When I think about our relationships with our children, there are just some things that people do. There are things that do need to change because they are detrimental for the relationship. But there are some things we need to accept. Yep, that's right. So are there specific practices that you have found particularly helpful in your own growing edge? Like when you notice yourself feeling irritated and you want to move yourself back to a place of acceptance, are there things that you specifically, like your kind of go-tos? I really like to journal through discomfort. So Mm -hmm. when something comes up that's really bothering me, I am the sort of person who goes inside. I don't have a lot of outside words. I always say, what's happening in my head? No one needs to hear it. (laughs) So I need to really think about this. And one way that I think about it is I write about it. I revisit some of those things I wrote about in the past about this. Sometimes I do vent to my therapist about things. And that's a wonderful way to gain some perspective because my therapist could say, well, remember this? And it's like, oh yeah, I do do remember, you know, this thing, huh? Uh -huh. You know, so Mm -hmm. in our relationships with people, Before we get to this pace of this relationship is done, we really have to think about the level of offense. A few weeks ago on Instagram, I saw someone say, "Um, I never hear you encouraging people to stay in relationships. And I said, well, that's really interesting because I think what we're always trying to do is stay in relationships. We're not really trying to leave relationships. We're trying to figure out ways to make them work better. Mm. And acceptance is a part of that, allowing Mm -hmm. people to be themselves because I want to be able to be myself too. And I know I annoy people. 
I tell my children all the time, especially when they get into a fight with each other and they're like, she's annoying. I'm like, guess who else is annoying? You're Mm -hmm. annoying. I'm annoying. Dad is annoying. The dog is annoying. The male lady is everybody's annoying. (laughs) Everybody has the potential to be annoying. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes I annoy myself. Right, you know? that's right. <laughs> I cannot get away from myself. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a part of being in relationships with people. So how do you accept that annoyance will be a part of this? Perhaps when I'm annoyed, I need to go to another room for a minute. Yeah. This would be a great time for me to go watch TV by myself yeah. or to grab a book and read it because I, I'm a little annoyed. It's not necessarily on the other person to do anything. Maybe it's on me sometimes. That is one level. I mean, I think what's so tricky about annoyance is annoyance can start to feel like objective truth, that it really does. Like the phenomenological experience of annoyance is if you stop doing that thing, I would be less annoyed. So the urge is to control or change the other. But I love this invitation you're making, which is to inquire about whether our annoyance may simply at the most surface level reflect our own fried nervous system, right? That Mm -hmm. your chewing is too loud because my system is just so frazzled right now. And so really the most loving thing I can do is take myself out of the situation, go take a nap, go take a walk, go read a book, just be in a room by myself. I think especially after two plus years of a pandemic, you know, we all are at risk of feeling fried and edgy. And so that annoyance really does kind of signal that our own system needs and deserves a reset. Absolutely. It's been one of the greatest lessons of being a therapist, just knowing that perhaps it is me removing myself from the interaction. It's not always people needing to do something. Mm -hmm. On the days that I see clients, I'm very careful about what type of conversations I have with certain people. I'm very particular about answering certain people's phone calls Mm. because it's like, I have listened to at least eight people problems today. Okay. So I don't want to hear about the same issue that you have on this particular day. I don't have the capacity. I don't want to say anything mean to you. I don't want to be short. I don't want to come off as irritated. So this is simply not a good time for me to talk. Because at the end of the day, I'm like, just get over it. You know, like, <laughs> deal with yourself. Deal Quit with your, your job already. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to pick this apart. We're not going to look at the layers. We're just going to go with a solution. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, look, I'm at capacity. This is what you're getting from me. It is the worst. It is the worst. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But <laughs> I do recognize like I really don't have time for this unpaid level of support today. I don't. <laughs> I do not. I have no advice to give. I can listen. I will be very quiet, but I don't I don't have anything constructive to say. Yeah. Uh, before that, I would be like annoyed. Like, why do they keep talking to me? And it's like, because you answer the phone. Because right. You're, you're available to talk to them. Remove yourself. They're not doing anything that you're not allowing them to do in this situation. That's right. Well, and there is, right, certainly sometimes it is don't pick up the phone, but sometimes it is exactly what you're saying. Like, this is what I have available. I have a listening ear and I can offer maybe some sympathy, but I can't, I'm not in a place for deeper digging, lots of like kind of well-attuned empathy strategy, like those things are not available. So sometimes there is that middle ground of I will talk to you, but all really I can do is like just stay quiet because mm-hmm. that's all you really want from me, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to listen. I can't remember what book I was reading. It's some book about how we have these stories in our head and we're just constantly feeding them with Mm -hmm. 
this person isn't this, they're not doing that. And what purpose is that serving? Clearly, we're not ready to leave the relationship. Right, that's right. It's, it's just this space of like being irritated with a person. And for what reason? How is this creating joy? How is it creating peace? How is it even creating contentment in your relationship mm-hmm. to have these loops of, you know, this person is not enough in this area or they need to be more of what things can you do to create those experiences? Right. That's right. Well, when it comes to an intimate relationship, this likely reflects in part how we load up so much expectation on our intimate partner. So then any arena in which they aren't measuring up, where really if our most adaptive strategy is to go source that with a friend or ourselves, Mm -hmm. that feels like it violates this like romanticized expectation that no, 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 I should actually be able to go to you with all of my needs and expect for you to meet my need. And that if I, you know, sort of offload that or source that in another relationship, it means I'm somehow settling or somehow you must not be my soulmate or you must not be the one, right? So I think in some Mm -hmm. ways, that's the understandable byproduct of highly romanticized ideas that our partner should be our sun and our moon and our stars. Yeah, there is this idea that they have to be a great listener, uh, provider, domestic, and all of these things. And that's for for all of us. Like we have these really high expectations. And I think friendship is a beautiful place to get needs met. Mm-hmm. I think family relationships, sometimes our relationships with mentors, coworkers, but it's not always our partner who has the best career advice for us. Right. It's not always our partner who says the right thing when we need it. It might mm-hmm. be a particular friend. I always say, oh my gosh, like, I feel so bad for men who don't have the deep connection that we have in female friendships. Because the way that we can speak about things, at least I can speak about things with some of my female friends, it is therapeutic. It's not therapy, but mm-hmm. it is very therapeutic. The the questions they ask, the things they challenge me on, the things that I'm able to share in this mutual sort of space that I don't get in other relationships. And I remember having this expectation from people I was dating, like, why don't they listen like Erica? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm just like, I want this response. And it's like, this is the response that your husband is giving you. Um, This is the response that your friend will give you. Mm -hmm. This is the response that your mentor will give you. Right. All of those responses are different. And that is okay. There is no problem with anyone. There are times when you may choose to go to a particular person for a particular thing because they have a certain level of understanding. And I think when we put that all on our partner to be everything that we need, we do miss out because we're just like, we're waiting. We're like, come on, when will you get it? When will you laugh at my joke the way that everyone, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're waiting for this Mm -hmm. thing to happen. And it's like, highlight the positives, highlight the things that you enjoy about this person, because in truth, you don't enjoy everything about your friends. That's right. You enjoy like... (laughs) You enjoy some, they get on your nerves too. You know, it's, it's a part of being in relationships with people. And in doing that, then the friendship or the mentor relationship then ends up being, there's, I can pursue and invest my time and energy in those other relationships and not feel guilty that it's quote, taking something away from my marriage or my partnership, right? Like when I go and spend time with my, you know, you, you've got Erica, I have Allie. When I go spend time with Allie, even like there's a part of me that feels guilty. Like I should be spending that time with my kids or with my husband or, you know, doing something for work. But no, the time I spend with Allie because of the kind of listening, because of the kind of conversations we have honed over many, many, many years of witnessing each other. When I tap into that resource, I turn back towards work and my husband and my kids renewed and restored. And there are things I can talk through with her 
that I just can't bring to my husband or my kids. Not because, as you're saying, not because of any inadequacy or imperfection mm-hmm. in them, just because it's it's a different kind of listening that we have, um, that we do with each other and for each other. It's nothing to feel guilty about, right? It's instead like what a beautiful bounty that we can have lots of relationships and that that's like a pressure valve that we're not asking one relationship to carry all of this. Absolutely. I am in a very healthy, one-sided emotional relationship with my kids because they're young. (laughs) It's a healthy Uh one-sided relationship. Uh You know, I can't say to them like, this is what's really going on with me. It's more like what's going on with you, what's going on with your friends, what, you know, oh, what would you like to do? There are a lot of things that they do not have the capacity to support me on because they're children. So I wouldn't even bring that to them. You know, it's fine. This is how it should be right. at this phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other relationships where we make those sort of accommodations. There are certain people where you know they're not going to have anything constructive to say. They're not a bad person. It's just mm-hmm. this is how they respond to things. I have a friend and her response is always very like, oh, okay, that's what you're doing. And it could be like the biggest thing ever. And I'm like, can you increase your tone a like bit? Like add a jazz hand, like give me a shimmy. Can you something? yell? <laughs> and she is so proud of me, but that's yes. just like, oh my gosh, that is so great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I believe you because you don't always say things are great. But uh-huh. Uh-huh. I do want to talk to someone who's like, oh my gosh, that's great. You know, so again, There is nothing wrong with that particular person. It's just we need different things in different moments. And it's okay to go to other people and not put all of that on one friend, on your partner, on your children. We need collective care. Mm, Collective care. That's right. And celebrating what our friends or our partners do bring to the table rather than continuing to punish them for what they don't bring to the table. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. My husband has a thing. He's had it for years. He calls it at my house. I'm Allie. And he calls it the Allie tax. And the Allie tax is basically the price he pays every year for loving me, right? For all the wonderful things that I bring to the table. I'm also going to bring some parking tickets. And some things I forget to tell him that I, whatever, put on the credit card when I should, you know, all these kind of like things, these like, he has to ask me five times for the statement about the blah, 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 you know, these things that where it's just the price of loving me. (laughs) There are things that are highly annoying that I can improve around the edges on some of these like forgetfulness or, you know, being particular about money and where things go. But I'm not going to, it's not going to be a whole, I'm never going to be him around any of that. And so he finds it really helpful to call that mm-hmm. the alley tax. Like it is the price of admission, the price he pays for all the like yummy, wonderful things that he gets out of our relationship also. Well, yesterday, well, my husband pays the Nedra tax because yesterday I ordered Chipotle to the wrong location. And he was at the location and he called and he said, did you order to the wrong location? I said, I, that, I probably did. He said, yeah, I didn't even argue with the lady. I said, she probably ordered to the wrong location. That sounds like her. I'm like, yeah, that is so me. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's me. Hello. Hello, the Nedra tax. 
the Nedra test. Uh-huh. Yes, oh. yes. The, the little details, I don't do them. No, uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, not a lot in the details. Yeah. <laughs> um. The Reimagining Love audience is, you know, they're pretty sophisticated. They are in the work. They've been listening to me for a while. You know, this is not their first rodeo. What are some of the most, like, the common, sneaky, subtle boundary violations that we get into, that we kind of are blind to or we miss? You know, for those of us who've been at this for a minute, we've been working on healing ourselves. We've been working on noticing patterns. Like, what are some of the sneaky, subtle ones that you find trip people up? One of the biggest ones is assuming that your partner will figure things out without you telling them. Uh The amount of times I've seen couples come into the therapy space with these issues that are like surprising to their partner who is sitting beside them and they're telling me as a therapist, I'm like, you didn't know this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You, You didn't know this? And they're like, no, I never do this. It's like, but you're in therapy for it. Like you mm-hmm. never knew what this issue was. It is quite shocking how much we get upset and our partner has no clue why we haven't tried to work on the issues. And we just hope that magically the issues will disappear. It is a violation to ourselves and it is a violation to our relationship because we're not being fair to either. Yeah. It's that we've had that conversation so many times in the side of our own head that it really does mm-hmm. feel shocking. How does my partner not know? Well, our partner doesn't know because they aren't inside of our head. And we have perhaps been biting our tongue so much and not talking about it that really it does come as a surprise to our partner. Yeah. And we rely a lot on the silent treatment to be an indicator that we're upset, our body language how we walk into the room, like all of these like subtle things, these passive aggressive things were like, well, they knew I was upset about their mom coming over unannounced. Right. Or did they think you were upset because the eggs were broken in the carton? Like how, how how would they know? Mm -hmm. In the course of a day, there's so many things to be upset about. Why not just say very directly, this is the issue and this is how I feel about it. And go beyond that. So often we speak specifically to the issue and never to the solution. And the solution is a key piece to helping you resolve conflict in the relationship. If the problem is the only discussion you have, you haven't really discussed anything. Mm-hmm. The discussion is the solution. This happened and this is what we need to do. This happened, this is what I would like you to do. This happened, this is what I will do in the future. Not, here is the problem. Okay, bye. It's like, whoa, what, yeah. what do we do next time? We're going to have yeah. this same issue. So in relationships, we continuously have the same boundary violations because there has been no solution. There really hasn't been a boundary established. It's just like, this is a problem. Now fix it. And we're leaving the person who created the issue, who didn't even see an issue, to fix the issue. And they're like, I don't even know. It's like taking a TV apart and then telling me, now put it back together. I don't even know where to start. You have to walk me through this. Like if you Mm -hmm. see the problem, please tell me what you might be thinking could be a solution for it. Because I don't know. It wasn't my problem. Ooh, I think that is such a big one because then the the belief becomes, yeah, but if I have to tell you the solution, then when you do it, you're only going to do it because I told you to. That one comes up. Good. Then, Then good. When they do it, yes, that's right. That's right. If I have an issue with you, I raise it with you. I ask you for a solution. You give me that solution. Rather than saying, Nedra, you only did it because I asked. Let me say, Nedra, thank you for doing that because I asked. Like that's how much you care about me. That's how much you value this connection, that you would take my feedback and do it differently because of what I wanted or needed. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. How do we be in relationships with people when we feel like they have to read our minds Mm -hmm. as a part of loving us? Mm -hmm. Like, if you love me, you will understand my needs without me telling you. That is one of the biggest myths that 
floats around on the internet, on Instagram. I see it so often. When someone loves you, you don't have to tell them. I'm like, <laughs> I have ne- I've never experienced love if that's the definition. That's I'm right. like, I'm constantly telling people, this is what I want for my birthday. No, no, sit here. You know, like I'm uh-huh. constantly telling people. Right. This. That's right. I'm like, I think it's a self-love uh-huh. to be able to say to people, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is my expectation. And to not assume people will figure it out. We really leave ourselves in the position of being disappointed when we do that. Right. Listen, I think people come by that tendency sometimes for very, very deep reasons, right? If I grew up in a home where it wouldn't have made a lick bit of difference if I had asked for what I needed, people would not have been able to give me what I needed, then it really actually is a growing edge to learn how to advocate for myself and ask for what I need, right? So so it is, and I think especially for those who grew up as girls and women, I think for people who occupy lots of marginalized identities, this idea of like, oh my God, I'm about to take up some space. I'm about to advocate for myself. It can feel really frightening, really confusing, and really brand new. So I think we can validate and honor that this is not easy, which I feel like you do. This is, this is, I think, the heart of why your Instagram community is so bountiful and why they cherish and revere you is because you, you hold that place of, listen, I have compassion for how messy and difficult this is and how you have actual real legitimate pain that makes this hard for you or a new skill for you. And I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. I'm going to keep challenging you and asking you to do it differently for your own mm. sake. Maybe one day in my career, as I get a little further along, it would be helpful for there to be like a relationship myth book, right? Yeah. Where we bust all of these common myths about relationships. And I have about a hundred I can think of. <laughs> we don't have time for that. Me too. Uh-huh. But I, I think the biggest one is the mind reading. Thing. Yeah. And I think the second biggest one that I see a lot of is this timing thing. We have this real big thing. When do you say I love you? When do you have sex? And a lot of that is like, I don't even know how to describe discernment, but that's when you tell them, when it feels mm. safe to tell a person. Beautiful. When it feels safe to have sex with a person. Sometimes that's on the first date. Sometimes that's one year later. Sometimes it is never. (laughs) But you're right. Discernment is hard to put into words because discernment is a vibe. It's a felt sense. Yeah. People ask you and I and people like us for how many dates or how many months or how many whatevers because they want that external one because discernment is subtle and it requires a practice of connection with self and an awareness of what safety feels like in the body. Yeah. And it's very hard to trust that intuition when maybe you've done it before and it was wrong. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you've been asked before and you've said yes. And that person wasn't who you thought they would be. Was that discernment or was that people pleasing? That's right. So it is very interesting that we have this significance around the timing of things. If you date someone for six months, should they want to marry you after six? It's like, you know, sometimes people know within the week. Sometimes it does take one year. Again, these are not things that are set in stone. It's really based on the person, what's going on in their life. And no therapist, no relationship coach or anyone can tell you this is it. And that's absolute because it's not true. It's not true. I mean, you're hitting on something else that's sneaky in our field, which is there's a lot of money to be made by telling people. Ooh, yes. <laughs> yes. So it's like being a psychic. Oh, yes. Right. A psych, yes. People want that definition. If they could have that, it would just feel better. Right. Someone wants to ask me, would, would you want to know when you die? And I said, no, I would live differently. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know that. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would live differently. I don't want to know that you would meet your husband on this day. I don't want to know that. I just want to go about my day and do all the things I do normally. I don't yeah. want to know, like, I'm going to walk past his cubicle um, and ah. meet him. Ah. Uh, I don't I don't want to know that. I just want to be in the midst of that situation. 
let it unfold naturally. Like mm. what feels good to you, not yeah. what is supposed to happen at this time, what is supposed to happen on this date. Live your life and things happen. When we shift into that place, we are teaching ourselves that we are trustworthy, that we mm-hmm. have an inner compass. And that's hard. I mean, I think we, I think a lot of us to offload our responsibilities onto the guru, the psychic, the fixer, the expert, right? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. There's such a temptation in that because then we Mm -hmm. don't have to do the hard work of trusting ourselves and we can just take in a resource from the outside. But it's ultimately so disempowering Mm -hmm. to say like, well, now now I got to turn back to you again to tell me the next thing. When do I have a baby or what, you know, I think it's just, we keep ourselves disempowered when we look for answers from somewhere else. My success as a therapist is really helping my clients find their inner compass. And I love it when they come to me and they say, you know, the other day I said this thing to myself and it's like, wow, they're doing all of the things Mm -hmm. that we talk about, but with themselves outside of this space, because I don't want you to have to come back here every week and me resolve the issues for you. I want you to resolve the issues outside of this space and hopefully get to a a point where you're telling me the other day I had a panic attack and I started breathing and I was able to calm down. I don't want you to have to call me every time you have a panic attack. That might be okay in the beginning, right? That we're Mm -hmm. in that space of like, you know, crisis management, but hopefully the growth in our relationship is you being able to do some of the things that we talk about with yourself outside of this space. Right. And that can sometimes be a grief when somebody starts therapy. I think sometimes we have this notion that when I go to therapy, my therapist will just tell me, break up with him, marry him, have sex with him, you know, on June 15th. That we think that like, okay, now finally I'm here and I will like, you know, sit before the therapist and she will tell me how to live my life. And there can be a grief um, in in coming to that reckoning that actually what your therapist is going to do, I think if they're worth their fee is exactly what you're describing, which is help you access your own compass, figure mm-hmm. out what it is that's gotten in the way that's, that's led you to not listen to your own compass and kind of find it again, reconnect with it. I have found that my therapist is such a therapist because sometimes I'll say, what do you think? And she's like, well, it sounds like you think such and such. I'm like, oh, you're being such a therapist. Stop being a therapist and be a coach. Uh, (laughs) Tell me the answer. Give me one. Just give me something. Give me one. (laughs) And then I say, okay, that's the same answer I would have gave a client. I know, I know, I know. I know. Do you know what my therapist does? This is the worst. She will sometimes threaten when we used to see each other in person. She would threaten to come over across the room and hit me on my head when I was being self-critical. And I was like, "That I am a therapist and I know you are not supposed to threaten violence against your clients. She said, accept other therapists. That's right. <laughs> the, the rules don't apply when you know damn well what you are doing. And I have found that people know when they're in situations they don't want to be in. They just want you to validate them. They're like, you know, should I yeah. should I still be with him? What do you it sounds like you know, you can hear right. it in them right. that they're not ready to leave. And you're having a lot of confusion in this situation. It sounds like you have a lot of processing that you're still doing. You don't have to make a decision today. No, 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 no. There's no decision to be made. That's right. And there is a lot to learn in the staying, right? I don't do that whole, I mean, when someone's like, I regret I didn't leave three years ago or whatever it is. No, in those three years, I have every confidence you were learning a ton about yourself and you are readying yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do want to read this Instagram post. So we started off talking about annoyance. You know, that was your growing edge was working on acceptance when you are feeling annoyed. And that was the post that I had pulled. And so I just want to read it because your writing is so beautiful. Your language is so specific. And you sometimes do these posts where you do a little secret from a therapist and you wrote, it's normal to complain and be annoyed by the people you love. To love people, you won't love everything about them. The people you love are not perfect and their imperfections will sometimes bother you normalize not loving everything about the people you love. And you close it by saying, repeat after me, sometimes it's just something to accept about people. They will at times get on my nerves and I can still love them. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I wrote that because I always think we feel like we have to do something when we're honest about dissatisfaction in a relationship. Right. If we say that, you know, my mother wasn't present for me, it's like, I have to do something. It's like, no, I think to do something is the acknowledgement. I don't know if right. you have to end the relationship, have a hard conversation with her. Maybe the doing something was just acknowledging that. How do we allow ourselves to be really honest mm-hmm. about how we feel about people? Because that came from a space of witnessing people apologize when they're honest about how they feel about their relationships. Mm-hmm. So if a person says to you, oh, my gosh, my wife gets on my nerves. She does this. She does that. I'm so she's so nice. You know, she's really good with the kid. That's usually what you get at the end. because right. They're like, no, 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 no. I want you to think good things about her. <laughs> What did I just say? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I said all that bad stuff. It's like, well, it sounds like she makes wonderful gingerbread Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. she is annoying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Both and. (laughs) That's okay. Like, you, you can just have that bad part and you don't have to, like, make her seem like a saint after you've said that stuff. Like, that can be true, too. Clearly, you're in the relationship for a reason. So because you've said these maybe complaints or whatever it was. It is okay. It does not mean you're leaving your relationship. It just means yeah. that you're you're upset. You want to complain. You know, there are some restaurants that really get on my nerves and then next week I'm back there. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean like I'm done. I'm boycotting. It's like, no, they just got on my nerves today, but see you next Tuesday. See, I love the food. <laughs> That's right. And sometimes sometimes saying the complaint to your therapist, to your Erica or your Allie, sometimes saying the complaint out loud just takes a sting out of it. Sometimes the stuff that lives inside our heads only grows and takes on a life of our own, its own and starts to really scare us. So sometimes just blurting out the, oh my God, I'm so annoyed with my husband, that just deflates it. And then it's like, okay, and also, and also he's all these wonderful qualities. Mm-hmm. All right, let's help this listener from Philadelphia. You ready? She wrote in to the show and she said, I would love to hear your thoughts and suggestions for best supporting a partner with depression without falling into unhealthy dynamics of caretaking. My partner withdraws and acts cold when he's struggling, which in turn activates some of my deep wounds. How can I best balance my own care, soothing an activated inner child who fears abandonment and offering him love and support? Hmm. One of the biggest things we must do when we are in relationships with people who have mental health issues, particularly ones that they're not addressing, is take care of ourselves because it's so easy to get into the role of caregiver and making sure they're taking a medication. And are you going to therapy? How are you feeling today? How can I help you when many of your needs are being unmet? So it's very important for you to create some collective care. Mm. Also for you to have some people to talk to about how you're feeling about these changes in your relationship. And frankly, you have to be very direct with your partner about how this is impacting your relationship and the need for them to get help in how they deal with the depression that is impacting the relationship. Because being cold is not okay, right? Now, I Mm -hmm. understand a person may withdraw, but if someone is starting to be mean or that sort of thing, we don't want to say, well, it's the depression. Right. You know, we don't want people able to do things because they are depressed, right? There is still some dynamic of being in a relationship. And yes, mental health issues does impact your relationship. It is really important to make sure that you are addressing your needs and that you are encouraging your partner to deal with their issues. What are you willing to do? That's another thing. I think that people feel like they have to take on all those needs. And it might be once a day, I'm willing to do this, or I'm willing to ask them once a week, you know, how was your therapy session? But it doesn't mean that you have to do everything to support them in their depression. What do you have the capacity to take on? Mm -hmm. Right. We don't know how she defines caretaking. There's one extreme where somebody can feel like anything I do to take care of my partner 
is codependence and enabling and I become a doormat. And I don't think that, but the other extreme is feeling wholly responsible to be in charge of medication, in charge of, you know, did you call your therapist? And there's a lot of shades of gray in between there. I like the way you're framing it, which is she can check in with herself because the teetering point is around resentment, right? Like we want her to be offering and giving the kind of care that leaves her also feeling well-resourced and like a partner rather than like a parent or like a therapist. And she can be an ally in his journey towards healing, but she can't be the beginning, middle and end of that. Mm -hmm. I also want the two of them to be able to talk together about this dynamic because I suspect it sounds like one of his symptoms of his depression is that he will shut down and pull away and kind of go inward. And as he does that, her wounded inner child gets activated. And I suspect that she kind of pursues and she, you know, is kind of reaching for him. And I suspect the more she reaches for him and asks him and follows him, the more he feels like I'm a disappointment to her. I'm letting her down. I am too sick to be in this relationship. And then the more he shuts down. So I think sometimes these dynamics take on a life of their own. And I would want him to be able to say, when my depression symptoms are driving the bus or they're acting up, these are the things that are hard for me. So I can't be initiating plans, initiating sex, you know, um, supporting you. But here's what I can do when my depression Mm -hmm. is taking the wheel. I can still watch a movie with you or whatever, check in on you once a day or, you know, can he get real about what's reasonable for her to expect of him so that he gets out of that loop of I'm letting her down. So I got to pull away even more if that's what's happening, which I would suspect it would be because I think that's so often, especially when it's a man struggling with depression, that urge to like pull away because I feel like I'm letting you down. It just takes on a life of its own. Agreed. I definitely think that he has to communicate how he will deal with his depression and not in a way where he's being cold and mean. That's right. Being cold and mean, that's not going to work. That's not okay. Like you said, depression is not a permission slip to act any old kind of way. He can't say, I'm mean because of my depression. And she can't just say, oh, it's okay. He's being mean because of the depression. We still Mm -hmm. are, right? There's that middle space of being responsible for our words and our actions, even when we're struggling. Yeah. Yeah. I want her to check in with herself about, you know, who is she afraid of becoming in this relationship, you know, and is that something from her own past? Like, does any amount of accommodation of his mental health challenge feel like she's at risk of becoming perhaps, you know, her mother who she watched overfunction for her father who struggled with addiction or something like that? Like, is there a way that this Mm. pattern is that much more painful and tender because of some legacy that she's bringing into this relationship. And if that's getting muddy between the past and the present, I want her to have some space and support getting clear on the differences, you know, what's different between the dynamic with this man versus the dynamic she saw perhaps with her parents. Mm -hmm. That's a good space to go to make sure that this is not a situation that is brought up by the past. And if so, how the two things are connected. Yes. A partner with a mental health challenge who's being well cared for, who's in therapy, who's getting the help they need and deserve, that partner can be a wonderful partner, right? Even if they sometimes have bouts, because what somebody who really is learning about their mental health challenge becomes able to do is advocate, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a really different story whether he's in his own therapy or not, because if he's in his therapy, he will be learning how to advocate, stay connected to her, even when he's having a hard time. Absolutely. If a person is anxious and they can say to you, you know, going to this social gathering is making me really anxious. And that's why I'm being ambivalent about saying yes or no. You can really understand that versus a person just being ambivalent, right? You're like, why are they, they won't answer the question. It's like, if someone can communicate that, it does take some work on their part to be aware of how they're impacted by their anxiety when they're feeling anxious. So- There is a huge difference when someone is trying 
to get help or at least manage the symptoms of depression, anxiety, or whatever it is, so they can communicate that in a relationship because it does still require a lot of communication. That's right. Good. All right, my dear, we have done it. We talked through so many different, I mean, it was just such, so fun, so fun to explore all these avenues with you. And I just, I know that listeners are going to really benefit from this conversation. So thank you to this listener from Philadelphia for sending in a really thoughtful question. And thank you, Nedra, for all, for your reflections on this question and for all of the really fun conversation about (laughs) relationships and boundaries and all of the things. Yes. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Mm. I suspect that lots and lots of Reimagining Love listeners already follow you and already have your book and your workbook. But if this is the first time somebody is learning about Nedra, first of all, you're welcome. (laughs) But second of all, you're welcome to the listener because now you are about to enter this wonderful world of all of Nedra's tools. But where, what do you think? What's the best place for somebody to get started with your work? The best place to get started is Instagram. And I am at Nedra Tawab. I have a website that is packed with tools and worksheets, quizzes for people to take a look at. Also, my book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace is available in most places that books are sold. And I have a workbook to go with the book called the Set Boundaries Workbook. Mm-hmm. We will have links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you, Nedra. Thank you for having me. The research is clear. Our relationships are the biggest determinant of our happiness, yet we're never taught how to do them. Instead, we grow up on a steady diet of fairy tales and romantic comedies that leave us ill-prepared for the realities of intimate partnership. Our culture idealizes falling in love, but not staying in love. Intimate Relationships 101 is the relationship education you always needed, but never received. No matter your relationship status, this comprehensive and self-guided e-course will teach you the art and science of loving and being loved. You will learn how to practice relational self-awareness, the foundation of a healthy, intimate partnership. You will emerge from this course with a deeper understanding of your patterns and what's behind them, tools to communicate with clarity and curiosity, and a greater ability to enjoy a sexual relationship that is rich with connection and joy. This course will help you reimagine what's possible for your love life. If you're ready to get started, go to dralexandrasolomon.com slash IR101 or grab the link from the show notes and use code LOVEPOD, L-O-V-E-P-O-D, for 10% off at checkout. Thank you so much, Nedra, for sharing your wisdom here on Reimagining Love. I so admire Nedra's approach to navigating relationship boundaries, and I hope that our answer to the listener question lands for you because it is such a nuanced and important topic. You can find ways to connect with Nedra in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, be well. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you.